0: This week I re-watched an old video of the photographer Gary Winogrand. It's a recording made at Rice University in 1977, when Gary spoke to a group of photography students. It's a rare video in which the photographer talks about his images and his process, seemingly reluctantly. but it's not so much that he didn't want to answer the questions but that students were expecting him to define his largely intuitive process in rigidly defined absolutes and he just wasn't interested in doing that nevertheless he offers some gems of wisdom in his almost two hour question answer session one of them is something that he often said which was that the photograph should be more interesting than the subject being photographed. I had likely heard that before, but it didn't click for me as much as it did this week. It clearly explained what I find so disappointing about so many of the images that I frequently see on Flickr, Instagram, and, and elsewhere. So when a couple of guests had to reschedule their interviews with me, I decided to do an episode simply talking about this quote, but I wanted another photographer to discuss it with me. And thankfully, Sean Tucker was gracious enough to make himself available. I interviewed Sean last year for the show, and many of you likely know him from his popular YouTube channel. I so appreciate his thoughtful exploration of what it means to be creative. He isn't shy, to admit his own weaknesses and doubts, and is open about sharing what he's learned about overcoming the common and familiar obstacles faced by any photographer.
1: If I can keep learning slowly on the side, now I need to focus on something totally different, shoot more carelessly, go and put better things in front of my camera, better stories to tell. I mean, I I tell people who ask me and say, you know, I I went out and bought the the new X-T3 and like some fancy lenses and stuff, but my photos don't seem to be getting better I, I'll say half-tongue-in-cheek, but just say, well, go sell it, get a second-hand, get a secondhand X-T2, and go put yourself on a plane somewhere really interesting. I guarantee your photos will get much better, much faster, because it's, it's about the wrong thing, you know?
0: Sean and I will talk about how we both respond to that quote from Winogrand, and how we are currently tackling our respective desires to take our photography in new directions. This is X, and welcome back to the candid frame. All right. Well, welcome. And, uh, just to, just, uh, to catch everybody up on what we're, we're doing here. I'm doing something a little different this, this episode. Sean has been on the show and we had a chance to, to talk about him and his career, which is, which is just lovely. And I've always appreciated the thoughtfulness, uh, by which he creates the content on his, on his YouTube channel, as well as his, just his imagery as a photographer. And what was happening is that I was, Um, going through a lot of old material that i'd seen and read before on gary winogrand there was a quote that he has said several times and that is that the photograph should be more interesting than the subject and it's something i probably heard or read him saying before but for some whatever reason it just sort of crystallized it crystallized it in my head when i heard it this time and there was another quote by sam abel in his book a life of a photograph which i think sort of ties into that and he says um let's see life rarely presents fully finished photographs i'll repeat that life rarely presents fully finished photographs and i think that both of those both of those quotes really tie into what i was struggling with in trying to identify why a lot of pictures that i see um, by by many people on instagram and on flickr are so lackluster and it was just that it's it's that the the, the inciting incident that may lead the subject to raise the lead the photographer to create the image in and of, its, of itself doesn't necessarily lead to a good or even a great photograph. Um, that it, it's just the basic ingredients of a of, of potential. And I think that so many of us as photographers, I know all, probably all of us as photographers, as we start I mean, with this camera and we see that we can re- reproduce something that we saw in front of us into an image, get really intoxicated by the idea of just pressing a button, and all of a sudden you've created something. But the thing is, as, as Gary so aptly said, That alone doesn't result in a photograph that communicates anything, that makes the viewer feel anything, that has any lasting significance beyond being a document of what was at a particular place at a particular moment in time. And I think to a great degree, every photographer has to make that leap. But even when you are aware of of it, it's a very sort of challenging proposition to effectively do that so that 's kind of what I wanted to riff on for the next forty five minutes what What are your thoughts on on both of those both of those thoughts shared by those those photographers sean
1: i mean i I kind of think with gary i'm almost i 'm almost wondering what he meant by that because it's it 's one of those statements which probably could mean so many different things to different photographers that everyone 's walking past i mean ten photographers could walk past the same subject and take ten photographs. And some would uh, it, it would mean it would mean more with exactly the same subject in the frame. I don't know what that meant for him and his style. Like, was it about context because he shot twenty eight mil and what was behind the subject or, or 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 the light in the space or or his kooky angle he put on it because you know that that made you observe it differently. Or I think in in my case, like I just did a talk last night um, as part of this event we're doing at the moment and. And I, I admitted to them, and I, and I'd, I'd happily admit to you, like I don't think my street photography means very much, you know. At the at the stage I'm at at the moment, it's it's mostly running around taking photographs of interesting light and shadow and shapes and spaces, but there's n- there's not more to it than that. And and I suppose if I was to say, like you know. Is a photograph of I, I take of, of a subject or a space more than just that space? Yes, in graphical terms, but but not in the sense that it tells a story or means anything more than that. And I, I feel that lack. You know, I know that's the next stage of my journey as a photographer is to try and make the image same more than just be aesthetically pleasing. And which is something he did, because actually, I mean, I'll be honest, Gary Winogrand is someone I, I struggle with, because he, he was so prolific and shot so much in a way that was so free and often messy in, in ways I'd never allow myself because I'm too wound up and anal about, <laughs> about photography. <laughs> but he conveys a lot more. I mean, that's the next, that's the next part of the journey, isn't it? What, what yeah. was it for you? What was it for you?
0: No, I completely agree with you because I know that when I'm like, if people follow me on Instagram, they'll see that a lot of my imagery happens just as a result of me carrying my camera with me all the time. Just because I don't have the freedom to go out and shoot in Venice Beach or downtown Los Angeles every day, I just basically catch as catch can. And primarily I see street photography in the way that I practice it right now. It's it's just an exercise. It's a practice. It's trying to see whether or not I can see something incredibly mundane and make an interesting photograph from it and for me th- this sort of mental photographic exercise is really how i can take those different elements and put them together within the context of the, f- of the composition to make something that is for most for the most part like you just pleasing graphically mm-hmm. there's not necessarily narr- narrative behind it there's not, not not anything of any greater significance but as i Do a lot more documentary projects and things that are more narrative. That practice is helping me to make more sort of informed photographs in terms of how the subject and the other elements that are in the scene play off of each other visually, but also in terms of storytelling. Mm. And I think that my constant practicing of that in terms of my street helps inform what I'm going to, I'm trying to do now in terms of more narrative. But to get back to the point about Gary one of the things that he was striving to do was basically to make the presence of the photographer less obvious. Mm. And I think with the work that we're I'm doing now that you're doing now, that you take a look at these, uh, at our photographs, and you see the presence of the photographer mm-hmm. just because of how tightly the composition is made and how tightly the frame was composed. Mm. And he went through that. And at some point, he was trying to sort of liberate himself from that. He was trying to make you know an image that was, less controlled or or gave off the appearance that it it was less controlled he basically wanted to create photographs that looked like they were made spontaneously that the photographer wasn't even there it just happened that this camera was floating in the ether and made this image Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the reasons why so many of his images are composed in a way that people think he was Less than dutiful about his framing and his <laughs> composition and all that, and it can be anything but the case.
1: Mm.
0: And that's something that I'm working on towards myself because, as as good as I feel I've gotten in terms of making an effective composition, I want to create images that that appear more spontaneous than they are now. Which is it's it's easier to say than do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd say like, it's a fear thing for me, you know, because the very shallow truth in my case is that I I know how to do something that visually pleases other people pretty easily. I I can go out on a sunny day and come back with two or three images that I know I can post and it's, and it's the, it's the quote unquote Instagram banger. It'll get lots of likes. Mm -hmm. I know also if I go out and take shots, the ones the shots that I really care about, don't get that sort of attention in fact it's it's worse than that they get questioned or mocked, or why are you wasting our time with this because that's the the nature of the internet and and the internet really messes us up for that because it makes us afraid to experiment and put stuff out and and I've grown a lot in the last year in that i I care far less about that now, but maybe that's some of it for me is is it's almost like a it's a control freak thing it's it's I know mm-hmm. if I go out, I can do something that will uphold my self-image as a photographer in the eyes of starter photographers as if that even matters where greats like gary winogrand couldn't care less what you think i mean yeah. i i've listened to that interview you're talking about it's the one with the with the or audio in the lecture hall that one yeah he got
0: his feet on the table
1: yeah 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 and mm-hmm. I, I, I it's funny that that's the quote because i mean he he also talks about his photography and that like I just take a photograph. It's it's so matter of fact and he so just enjoys the process and he doesn't want to analyze it with you. He doesn't want you to pick it apart and try to find the super deep meaning. He couldn't care less. He he shoots mm-hmm. what he shoots. He likes it and you can take it or leave it. He really couldn't care. And And for me, that's definitely something to learn from someone like him is if I ever want to be better than just posting something, which is almost like, you know, you become your own cliche, you know, um, I mean, if I if I shoot another diagonal hard shadow, I'm going to vomit. You know, it's, 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 it's enough. It's enough. Yeah. I, I can do it every day, and and I can do it, and it'll get attention. And I know it's a sh- it's a magic trick. It's it's really easy to do. It's easy to teach someone else to do in half an hour. But yeah, it's it's letting go of the magic tricks and being brave enough to push the boat out a bit and say, I'm I'm going to shoot something that isn't as graphically pleasing it is quote unquote messier in terms of the way that i shoot but look at what's going on in the frame and yes there's things i can't control in there and there's some highlights playing and there's someone walking in the background but look at the subject and what's going on and i know i need to grow up and move in that direction but it, it's it's hard to let go of that control you know hard to let go of the yeah trail.
0: especially now because you you know before as a photographer before social media there were very few eyes on your images mm-hmm. so you could take risk and you know you could you could risk you know absolute failure oftentimes, and there was no one to be aware about whether you were succeeding or failing other than the people who you presented your work to mm-hmm. but now, as very public photographers, you know everything is out there. I feel like I put pictures out there, especially on my Instagram feed where i'm just like i'm playing mm-hmm. and for me, this this is just, I'm just sharing what I'm trying to do. And just like you, there's stuff that I could pull out of my butt very easily all the time. Mm-hmm. and uh, I do not put those pictures up there just because I just don't, I don't want to see it. Mm. So I'll put images up there that I know will get a good response. But there are other images I put up there, like, like you, that don't get any response. But I look at those photographs and go, okay, that's moving in the direction that I'm hoping to get to. And yeah. just the fact that there are less and less people that recognize that. To me, is an indication that I'm going in the right direction Mm. because it's like discordant music, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone loves Mozart and Beethoven and all that stuff, but as you get more sophisticated in Mm. terms of musicians, at least classical music, you know, there's this this time where you're starting to play with discordant music. And to everyone else's ear, this sounds terrible. It's like, you gotta get a new piano, dude. Yeah. It's all screwed up, but to a small circle of people, it makes sense. And I think that as photographers, we have to be willing to explore such territory, even though we know that the response is not going to be that favorable because we know that we need to go through that phase of exploration if we're ever going to get anywhere. If we get stuck with just doing what we know already works mm. and that we'll get likes and that we'll get sales or whatever it is, mm. it's so self-sabotaging that even if you're prolific, you're going to get amazingly depressed and frustrated because you're not you can see it. You can see that your that your work is not growing. Mm-hmm. And for me, when that happens to me,
1: you don't want to be around me. It's like me getting angry, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> Hungry and angry.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I've actually started to sort of, I've already started to deconstruct what I'm doing and break it down, almost preparing people that things are changing now. Because hopefully this year I'll be moving out of London, which means I won't be shooting street anymore, or at least not regularly. And I know that will that will change the 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 images. And and I started to go around just the park next to my house. It's right here. So instead of getting on a bus to go into the center of London where the pickings are easy visually, let's be honest. I thought, yeah. let me let me just walk around the common, like next to the house, which has got a little duck pond and some trees and challenge myself to take images that I like and post them. You know, you have a moment where you go like, oh gosh, people aren't going to get this. And you do start posting and people don't get it. They're like, um, and I'm not suggesting this is the substance that Winogrand talking about at all, but I'm just, it was something different. That's a lot simpler. And I, you know, I'm going to take a photograph of a leaf on the ground with frost on it and the sun hitting it and the colors and people are going, what, what on earth are you doing? And I'm, I had to do it to get myself to the place where I'm like, I don't care what you think. I really don't. I'm not doing this for you. I'm, I'm working towards something. And right now I'm just in a stage of, like you say, play. Like I'm breaking down the stereotype of myself. And that means just bringing it back to super simple. And then I'm going to start to build it back up. And like you say, when I build it back up, it might be discordant photography you don't get. Because I think that the, when I was starting out in photography, I didn't understand the Magnum photographers. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like, I don't know if you follow uh, Panos on uh, Instagram, but I mean, I I I wasn't mature enough to understand the the sort of photography they feature or, or most of the Magnum photographers shoot. It looked boring to me. I didn't get it. Like yeah. there's, no, there's no gloss to this. You know, there's no shine. There's no fanciness to this. And I wasn't mature enough to understand it was the content because to a starter the great photographers don't make sense yet. We just know we're supposed to like them. And it takes you years and years growing to go understand the context of where they were and what they were shooting and, and what's going on in terms of framing. And, and that light is really dull in there. I would have brightened it up, but he left it exposed like that for a reason. And now I get it because you just, you understand how to read things visually more and you understand the history of photography and the, and the context in which they were shooting. And and you don't want to be pleasing the crowd forever. You want to move on to something that's more abstract but more meaningful, more obscure at least. You know, you, you pull out your Instagram at a party for people who aren't photographers and they go, I don't get it. I could take this. <laughs> it, but you couldn't take this because, like, there's there's 20 years of doing the tricks and then undoing the tricks and going back to, to very simple but very meaningful it takes that 20-year up-and-down journey of building it up and breaking it down. And it's okay that people don't get it, but it's letting go of that need we all have, I suppose, of of wanting what we do to be as appreciate, appreciated by as many people as possible. But you're not going to grow if that stays the goal forever, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I, Lee Friedlander was that for me. Mm. When I looked at Lee's books, I would look at these and I'd go, I, 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 can't, I don't understand it doesn't make any sense to me, mm-hmm. and I'd been photographing for a while when I started looking at his books, trying to figure it out and parse it and I don't know if I can verbalize how it makes sense to me, but now when it when I take a look at his photographs, I get it mm-hmm. don't ask me to describe it you know because I would, I would i even with the books right in front of me, I would struggle to, but I could look at it and to me just innately visually it 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 makes better sense than it did in the past
1: mm.
0: and that's what I'm looking for when I look at work. When I'm trying to find new work, especially for like for for the show, there, there's so many people out there that produce just great work. They have great stories to tell, but man, it's it's really rare where I see somebody doing something and I just go, wow, they're they're really going beyond the confines of what I see all the time. And I think I think because of the position I'm in, I see so much work. Mm. So, trying to find something that's sort of, you know, that is outside of that orbit is difficult. But when I find it, I, I, when I do find it, I kind of know it innately, mm-hmm. and so I kind of challenge myself and going, "Am I kind of take not so much taking those risks, but it's like, am, am I am I settling?" Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's something every photographer has to sort of ask them ask themselves: Am I am I settling just because it's convenient? Yeah, and what what choice can I make today to get out of that that comfort level? Because yeah, we're all creatures of comfort, especially photographically. Yep. One of the exercises that I give my students when I do my my two day workshop is I have them go out and they can't look through the frame, uh-huh. and, and they're basically shooting blind. I say, don't even bother raising the camera up to your face; just mm-hmm. point it and shoot it. Mm -hmm. And I find that when they do it and when I do it, that's when the surprises come. The things I would never have considered doing, looking through the viewfinder of my camera, I see it and go, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I need to play with that. And that's the only way that I can sort of free myself from this incredible desire to be perpetually in control. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy who plugs gear or anything, but the, the little Ricoh um, GR3 that I picked up mm-hmm. last year was great for me for that because it's, you know, there's no viewfinder. There's no, uh, you know, you're just, you're just flicking it around like you would a phone and just taking shots. And I started taking shots a lot more like quote unquote carelessly, you know, of things that I wouldn't shoot before because I would have felt the need to set up and, you know, mm-hmm. get in the yeah. right spot and really take it seriously. I I could flick the camera up and shoot something, and I've I've got shots that I put out in in, in the book I put out every year. This year that that is as a, of someone's blurred legs going past. You would never have caught me doing that before, but but it's it's unlocking something because it's almost like sometimes. Sometimes shooting with something much simpler as a camera gives you permission to do that. Film does that. I think if you pick up a film camera, you shoot sometimes in a different way because you – you you kind of you know it's that space where you embrace the happy accident. So you give yourself permission to play more and just see what happens and what comes out of it. And yes, it's got a light leak, and yes, the grain's terrible, and there's a bit of hair on it, but that's kind of cool as well. And it wasn't framed great, and the slightly out of focus because manual focus. But you love it more, and those things unlock stuff. I mean, I I know for me, it's it's that. Like control, that need to control and be so precise is the death of creativity for me. And it's it's a constant fight to get away from that. It's funny because I I don't know if you've come across Tish Murtha's stuff. Do you know yeah. about Tish Murtha? Yeah. So, I mean, shooting um, around Newcastle uh, in the UK here in, from about 679 to 81, I think, and sort of shooting. Kids who are out on the street during the day and the, and the poverty that was in the area. And she was somebody who, when I saw her exhibition a couple of years ago, uh, she passed away a few years ago, unfortunately, but that was that for me. There's, there's no doubt her images are beautiful, but they're not, they're not technically incredible. But the content of those images, the, the stories they bring across, the things they make you feel, the faces she's including, speak louder than anything I've ever taken and And maybe ever will, and that to me now is the benchmark I, I know I know the technical mm. that's fine like, I, and I could stop, I could stop today and probably know more technical than she did. it doesn't make me a better photographer than her it doesn't even bring me close, so c- maybe I should just put that to bed and just say okay, that's enough, that's enough. I can keep learning slowly on the side now I need to focus on something totally different. shoot more carelessly, go and put better things in front of my camera, better stories to tell i mean i I tell people who who ask me and say, you know, I, I went out and bought the the new XT3 and like some fancy lenses and stuff, but my photos don't seem to be getting better. I, I, I'll say half tongue in cheek, but just say, well, go sell it, get a second hand, get a second hand XT2, and go put yourself on a plane somewhere really interesting. I guarantee your photos will get much better, much faster, because it's yeah. it's about the wrong thing, you know.
0: It's like congratulations, John. You learned all these things about photography. Now forget it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because you need to know the technical. That's fine. And it does help you. But I did um, Werner Herzog, uh, his masterclass on masterclass.com. He's a, a documentary oh, okay. filmmaker. yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And it, he starts off his masterclass by going, please don't let anyone tell you filmmaking is hard. I could teach you the, the technical part of filmmaking in two weeks. But learning how to see takes you a lifetime. And and he uses the example of uh, the, the, his required reading for that course is an obscure book by J.A. Baker called The Peregrine. And it's just about a guy in Essex in the UK writing about and describing Peregrine falcons where he lives for, for a whole book in beautiful prose. And his point is, this will teach you how to be a filmmaker. Look how this guy notices and sees the world around him that will make you a filmmaker you can learn how to use a camera fast but learning how to see is the mission everyone tries to skip and you can't skip it and he himself had this experience he put a book out called um of walking in ice in his 20s i think he he's his uh, filmmaking mentor was a woman named uh lottie eisner she lived in paris and she was passing away she was dying and he lived in munich in germany and he picked up the phone to her, this is, you know, before internet, before the rest of it, and said, listen, you won't die before I get to you. You will wait. And he said, and by the way, I'm walking. And then he walked <laughs> from from Munich in Germany to Paris, which took him a long time. And he did it in the middle of winter. And then he wrote this book called "Of Walking in Ice. And he said that that's what made him a good documentary filmmaker. And the first, the first exercise he gives in this masterclass is walk 100 miles in any direction. Don't take a camera, it's not about that. Just walk for 100 miles, no headphones, no nothing, and see what you see in one go. Don't break mm-hmm. it up. If it takes you 24 hours, it does. If it takes you, you know, two days, it does. Walk 100 miles in one direction and see what you see because that will make you a better filmmaker or photographer or whatever. That is great. Mm.
0: One of the biggest challenges of producing the show is a matter of scheduling. Finding a time that works for the guest and me can be difficult, especially as I'm currently working a regular photography gig at the Huntington Library and Garden here in Southern California. Many of my interviews are conducted after work, during the weekday or on Saturdays. I sometimes have to schedule two in a single day. But there are some days that I have to take time off of work so that I can conduct an interview during the middle of the day. The flexibility of my job and your contributions help to make that happen. It gives me the time to not only conduct the interviews, but the time I need to research each guest as much as possible. Because as with anything creative, it's more about having the time to make something of quality and much less about the equipment that's being used. You can help me to continue to bring you the best show possible by becoming a Patreon supporter today. With your regular monthly donation of $5 or more a month, you help provide me the most valuable tool to produce the best show I can, time. Sign up today by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. Thanks. I've not walked a hundred miles, but I've done. I've, but I've done thirty. Uh, yeah, amazing, yeah. it is an amazing experience when you just like, especially when you don't have a camera, you mm. know. And you're walking. I was angry. I was pissed off that day. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up taking a long, long walk. But um, but I, I concur with you know the experience of you know just just seeing because for me that really is the joy of it. Mm. And like going back to the whole technical thing. The, the 85 middle-meter focal length has is, is been a bugaboo for me for the longest. And with every camera system, I've always bought it. Mm. But the thing is, is, I am so locked into the way I feel like I'm supposed to see with it. Yeah. Right. And so when I do a portrait, it's always the same damn portrait. I don't care how nice the light is and all that other stuff. But it's just like, why can't? Why do I every time I pick up that lens do I always go to that? Why can't I just do something? Just do something different with it. Why do I keep wasting my money and my time buying this lens and all I'm doing is reproducing the same image over and over again? Yeah, yeah. And it's like you know, sort of goes back to this idea where all of a sudden the equipment, whether it's a lens, whether it's a camera body, all of a sudden just takes. Over. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like the camera, the equipment, and all the sort of baggage that comes with it is is in charge. Mm. That's that's taking the picture, not you as the photographer. You're just the you're just the finger, you know, that depresses the button. And I think even for people who have been shooting for as long as I have, it's like, man, it's so much is tied up with that. Yeah. And it's really hard to just be able to, to say. God damn it! Let me switch this up in some way. And I think, just like the the exercise that I descri- described, I have to trick myself. That's uh, that's the only way that I can succeed in doing it. Sometimes is I got to trip myself up in some way, mm. in order to make an alternative choice.
1: Mm. There's too much to think about nowadays. They they're always they're giving us too much to think about because they're putting so much into these cameras. And I mean, obviously, it's not a bad thing unless we we let it be. But I I feel like. You know, when you look at Winogrand and, you know, the way he had this little camera with this 28 mil and he was sort of shooting and flicking it around, pretending he didn't know what he was doing with it. Or you look at someone like um, Joel, like Joel Meyerowitz, I mean, uh, the way that he would just stand there and use that camera, it was so simple what they were doing with the camera. It wasn't fussy, you know. It was just, this is a very simple piece of kit. This is a focal length about the way that I see the world. And, And the camera got out the way really quickly. You know they're not worrying about you know, in body stabilization and how high the ISO goes, and wh- it's all irrelevant stuff. It's a simple film camera and just shoot. It was like they gave Steve McCurry. I saw a video. They gave Steve McCurry the fancy new Canon a few years ago and mm-hmm. walking around with it. And you just felt, you just felt him go. All right, where's the two or three things I normally I need to? Where's where's right. ISO, aperture, shutter speed, and just get out of the way. I don't, I don't care about the rest. And he just got out there and shot the same way he always did. He couldn't care about the fancy tech in there. It's not important and it's not going to help him get a good photo but when we start in photography today and i made this mistake everyone does i think is we we watch a thousand gear reviews because we think that's important because we're investing our money and we've we've got to obsess about how you know this has 3 more megapixels so I should definitely you know we spend so long in that trap of chasing these tiny bits of tech thinking it will make the blindest bit of difference to the photos we produce but actually if we just ran around for a year and shot with our phone only and ignored the the fact that we we want to buy a camera we put ourselves in a in a much stronger place i mean There's a, there's a guy on Instagram, dcim.ru, he's a, he's a Russian photographer and he shoots just documentary life around Russia and his photos are incredible and he shoots on his phone, but absolutely incredible stuff. And you talk about like, you know, that the photograph adds something to that subject means more than the subject on its own. He is a brilliant example of that. He's, he's, he's amazing because his composition is brilliant the way that he's he's toning his images gives a feel for kind of these dusty parts of of Russia where these where these people are living. It, it it gives a feel in the aggregate. More than one photograph, as these are sequenced together, you get a feel of the culture in that place. And and juxtaposition between someone standing and looking in a mirror, and then someone in the in the room in the far distance through the doorway is sort of naked, facing away, sort of getting dressed or whatever. You're you're mm. in this intimate space with them how many people have you seen take photographs of themselves in the mirror that means zero, but he puts you in that room and makes you feel like, wow, I'm, I'm in this special place of intimacy with this couple getting ready for something. It's, it's not about a person looking in a mirror. It's about giving us the context of, of the intimacy of a, of a, of a small flat in Russia with a couple getting ready to go out for the night or something. And that's, that just shows it's, it's zero to do with the camera. It's zero. It's, it's bravery. It's w- being willing to go and, and stay around people who you think might have interesting stories, not just dip in and out because the weather was good for an hour, but stay and see what happens and watch and learn who they are and, and gain some trust and then start to shoot stories. I mean, it's, I think that's why we don't do it because it's hard work. That's why, honestly, I mm-hmm. run out and mm-hmm. take stuff in good light because I know I can get a cheap, quick bit of attention for a trick that I can pull. But that's, that, that I know is a cheap trick I pull and I need to get better than that.
0: No, because the documentary work that I that I'm doing and that I'm trying to do requires a lot more effort, just in terms of making it happen. You know, mm. gaining access, gaining trust, so that I can immerse myself in the way that I want to be able to do it. That's not easy. It's a lot easier for me to get in my car and drive to some location that I know that I'm familiar with, where I can make a, you know, an an interesting photograph. But you know, after a while, that gets less and less satisfying. And mm. you know, I just it's just that that gnawing feeling in my gut. It's like, you could do better. You mm-hmm. could do better. Why aren't you doing it better? You know, why aren't you taking the risk? Why aren't you going out there and making it happen? You know, why are you settling? It's like, mm-hmm. you only got a number of days in this on this earth. You know, you could really be making some really, it may not be completely successful, but it'd be more interesting than what you've already been doing. So why not do yeah. it? And it's like, oh, Yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's like trying and making the time to make all that stuff happen. And the thing and the, and the thing is, with that stuff, you get a lot more no's and you get yeses and, uh, mm-hmm. and I think part of that is just part of the frustrating part of it. It's like, hey, I would like to be able to do this. Let me think about it. And it's like, you just got to keep knocking on doors until somebody says yes. And sometimes with as limited time as I have sometimes, it's just frustrating to have to face you know that kind of rejection sometimes, but it's like mm. that's, that's just part of the deal. All the people who are doing that kind of work, who I admire. They they accept that that's just part of the game.
1: Yep.
0: You just yep. keep knocking until somebody opens the door and says, "Okay, come in."
1: Do you feel like, um, like, how, what's the difference when you're sort of looking at those street photos that you you can take every day, all day, and the documentary stuff you're doing? Do you feel differently about it when you look at your own work?
0: Oh, completely. I completely because there, because there, it's just. I am more reactive when I'm doing the documentary work than I do and on the street. On the street I have the luxury of time. Even though things are happening very rapidly around me, when I'm when I'm in the zone, I can very much sort of gauge the potential for a particular location because of the light, the shadow, the line and shape. And then as things start evolving in terms of the flow of traffic and people interacting, you know, I have a reliable, I have, I have had the experience to, to be able to read a place or a location or a moment that's playing out. Mm-hmm. With documentary work, those opportunities are there, but they're a lot more fleeting, mm-hmm. right? Because things are constantly moving and I'm constantly having to adjust myself for the people that I'm photographing. So it's it's, the, it's basically the same experience on the street, but I even have less time to have to sort of process it before I make the photograph. So as a result, I'm sometimes making photographs that are much more intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. Is that I get a general sense that this is gonna give me what I want and I make the photograph. And I just keep shooting. There's no time to really like look at the back of my camera and see whether or not I need to refine my frame a little bit. It's like, no, no. It's like, okay, moment's done. Move to the next one, move to the next one. Mm-hmm. And it's only later when I'm taking a look at the pictures and I'm going through the process of culling and editing them that I really get a sense of what I was doing. And for me, that's that speaks more to that spontaneity and the absence of the photographer more so than the stuff that I'm doing yeah. that I'm on the street.
1: It's also like, um, it's meaning, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's what he, it, this is what I was uh, in this talk last night. Someone asked a question after the talk and was saying, you know, because I'd share that I'd love my stuff to get more narrative as I went along, to sort of speak more deliberately about things I cared about with images. And the question was, you know, does does a photo always have to tell a story? And I don't think it does at <laughs> all. I mean, it, I think you know, there's many different sorts of photography, um, and sometimes it's absolutely fine that it's just aesthetics for aesthetic sake, and you, you you are shooting like a graphic designer or something, and you're creating beautiful light and shape. But I, I, I when 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 I think about but Winogrand's comment, it, I, I wonder if that's what he meant. I wonder if he was talking about meaning. If he was saying that, you know, I took a photograph of someone on the street. I, I took a photograph of an attractive couple walking through with a couple of, you know, baby chimps in their arms through the zoo in New York, like that shot of his. You know, and uh, to everybody else, they were walking past. It was just a little bit of a an oddity or whatever. But the way I took it, it made that scene mean more than it would have otherwise. Did he mean because of... What 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 was he saying with it? Was he saying anything with it? Did did he? You know, because he seemed to say, I, "I don't shoot to to convey some deep meaning or truth." Or was it was it light? Was it context? Was it people around? I, I I don't know, and and I don't even know if it helps to define it. I don't even know if it helps to nail it down.
0: Well, he was very elusive in in so many of his answers because he didn't want to get nailed down. He didn't uh, want people to look at his work and what he was doing in one, in only one definitive way. Yeah. You know, he photographed it to see how it looked like in a photograph. Yes, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so immersed in just experiencing what he was witnessing and making a photograph of it. And he was so entrenched in the experience of making the photograph. Yeah, Not so much in the end result, as is obvious because of those thousands of roles that he left undeveloped when he passed away. Yeah. Right. He was completely obsessed with the moment of being present in the moment and making the photograph of seeing, reacting and releasing, you know, and releasing the center. That was the moment for him. That's why he kept doing it over and over and over and over again. And I think it's, it, you know, you take a leap if you try to sort of explain that process in any way, creatively, psychologically, I know what it feels like to be in that moment, mm-hmm. I, but mm-hmm. my reason for why I take pleasure in that moment is going to, probably going to be different from Winogrand or from you or from anybody else. Mm. But, what, but My takeaway from that is I, I know what it feels like when he makes that statement. I know what he's talking about when it comes to that pleasure of just being completely present, recognizing something, celebrating the fact that you recognized it. Yeah. And then being able to successfully make a photograph that captures, if not that feeling in its entirety, a good enough percentage of it that you feel like, yeah, that's that's what it felt like to witness that.
1: And it doesn't matter if other people get
0: it. Right. It's, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the classic example for me is, is Bresson because you can go the, the other direction with stuff. So, Cartier Bresson has that famous shot of, you know, the guy jumping off the ladder over the puddle mm-hmm. yeah. by the train station. And I've heard so much commentary about that photograph about how. There's a broken hoop in the puddle that's, that speaks to the fact that we're coming out of World War II and the modern world is broken and humanity's trying to transcend. I'm like, yeah. and I've heard him in an interview just say, look, there was a hole in the fence. I saw a guy coming and I took a chance and that's what came out and I kind of liked it. It's like everyone else feels the need to add all this... This weighty, deep explanation to it, and it's lovely that they find that in there. I mean, I have people look at some of my images and go, "Oh, I see what you were doing here. You're making commentary about X, Y, or Z." And I'm going, "You put way more thought into this than I did. I just reacted to something that I liked, and you're making a story up off it. And I kind of love that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to agree with you or confirm it because I haven't even thought about what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But great, great that you have that response to it. It was, it was really a lot more intuitive than that. So I suppose you could go both ways with it, couldn't you? You could, you could sort of try and be almost too earnest with the meaning you're putting into stuff and, and get a bit pretentious about it. But the, the best photographers never felt the need to do that for me. Even someone like Salgado, who I absolutely adore, I think his work is amazing, took on some incredibly you know, heavy subject matter without being heavy-handed with it somehow and still having it be aesthetically beautiful. And not having to write reams of commentary to accompany it, um, which I think is a, I mean, that's masterful. Mm-hmm. The ability for, for someone like him to just go and be and shoot and just present it to the world as, as something that people find incredibly meaningful and, and not have to preach about it verbally alongside, you know, is, is powerful. You yeah. know, one of the
0: questions I was thinking about is why make photographs? And it's like, well, and the question I was posing is like, do you want to make photographs or do you need to make photographs? Mm-hmm. And for me, that's like, for me, it's a need. Mm-hmm. You know? And just because I know what it feels like when I'm shooting and I know what it feels like when I'm not shooting, mm-hmm. you know, and for me, it's it's not it's not a want. It's just as much a, a, a need as me putting food in my mouth and me getting enough you know, sleep at, at, at night. Just recognizing that it's like, well, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want from, from a work? If this is something that is so essential to who I am, what do I need it to be other than just sort of a this thing that I do every once in a while, you know, or even on a, a daily basis for 15 minutes out of the day? You know, if it's so important to me, what do I need to make it for myself? And sometimes I struggle what the answer is for that. I, I know that I have the need. And maybe if I had a little more clarity of vision in terms of what that means to me it might make for an easier path. I don't know. I just kind of throw that out there.
1: Yeah. I, 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 uh, I have like a, a quote that I love that sort of has, has guided me for years that, that, and this is in thinking about photography uh, specifically as well. And I've, I've got lots of projects that I want to do into the future. And again, working out what projects I want to do, what stories do I want to tell ultimately in the long run? Not that I'm doing much of that at the moment, but it's all in the works and I'm working towards it. And this quotes by a guy named Frederick Beekner, And he says that your calling is the place where your deep joy and the world's deep hunger collide, which I think is such a lovely idea that we all have things that give us deep joy. So how do we take that thing and somehow feed it back into places where the world is hungry to make it slightly less hungry or slightly less broken. Mm -hmm. And it's a really kind of big concept idea, but the more I think like I now have managed to build a skill set for myself and I'm slowly starting to get a picture of what to do with it. It should somehow make the world a slightly less hungry place because I've been given this thing that gives me deep joy. So I, I should point it at that somehow. And that's just a lovely. I just love that idea. Uh, no idea how to do it yet. Not specifically. I've got I've got loose ideas, and I ho- it'll hopefully clarify as I go. But if I could, if I could take something that's not just a, a, a selfish personal pursuit or a hobby that, or, or now a job that, that that you know creatively satisfies me, but make it about lifting everything else up as well. I, I can't imagine a higher goal with it than that.
0: Yeah, I think we both do that. I mean, you you with your YouTube channel, and me with the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. To some degree, I think we we succeed in being able to do, to do it with 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 those mediums. Yep. But I think we're both trying to work out how to do that with our own photography. Exactly,
1: that's exactly <laughs> it, that's exactly what it is. That's <laughs> exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah,
0: because it's such it's such a personal thing at, at, at that at that point, right? Because yeah. it it really just starts from who am I willing to to bring to the table is, in terms of how much of myself am I willing to bring to the table today?
1: Yeah.
0: And and be as, not brutally honest, but being unsparingly honest with myself about Mm -hmm. what I want and what I'm willing to do in order to make it happen. Mm. You know, and I'm sure that the answer changes daily with respect to that. But I think that nevertheless, posing that question to myself is something that I do probably unconsciously, you know, every day. But I'm glad that the question is there for me and that I'm aware of it. You know, because in the days where I feel like I've succeeded in taking a step in a new direction, that for me is satisfying, even though I may not have a photograph that completely reflects that. And I think that for anybody who's sort of creative, you have to think along those lines. Otherwise, you just begin to atrophy and get to the point where you settle, especially if you achieve a modicum of success, either financially or or critically. Uh, I think it's a lot harder to make such make such a choice, especially when so many people are going to are growing to believe they know what to expect from you. Mm. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So tell me about this.
0: Uh, this I, don't, I don't know if this event is going to be all, all gone by the time I release the episode, but um, why don't you share what, what, what was happening in uh, the last couple of days?
1: Yeah, we're doing um, uh, three of us: uh, Mo Bazargar, myself, and uh, Joshua Jackson, um, who with three street photographers in London. We've we're running this thing called uh, Three Street Gallery, which started on Thursday, runs till uh, next week Sunday, which is the first of March, I think. And we're just uh, we have uh, nine photographers exhibiting five prints each. And running a series of talks and photo walks and panel discussions throughout the week as well. And it, it all came about because uh, Mo, one of the photographers, was the CEO of a, of a company here in London that wanted to decorate their offices last year. And decorators came in and they put up pictures on the wall of your you know, touristy shots of Big Ben and blurred red buses going past it, the, 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 the stuff you see on postcards. And he said, no, I can't. No, we need to take this down and have something a little bit more because he's a photographer, a little bit more you know, of, of the time and what's going on. So he, he commissioned 12 of us to uh, give five images each, and they filled their offices with 60 prints from us. But before those images went in, he thought it's a shame these are all going to go into the offices and the public won't get to see them. So he organized a space that we turned into a, ga- a pop-up gallery for a week so the public could come through and hang out. And from there, we kind of had this idea – that it would be great to do something like this to sort of form more community around street photography in london because it's exploding here there are so many street photographers around so this is the first sort of that's standing on its own two feet where we've got some photographers who admittedly have a bit more of a social media following so we get lots of people through for these 10 days and involved and people know what three street gallery is and then the next time round, it will be it will be up and coming photographers or we want to do under 21s uh, street photography uh, and feature uh, some youth street photographers uh, the next the very next exhibition will be an all female street photography exhibition and just making sure that we're always bringing new people through and displaying their work so it's not about us promoting ourselves it's It's building that community and 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 if this works, it will hopefully be something we do two or three times a year and then, on the side of that, we also are looking at um starting a sort of cafe gallery space for street photographers in London where we're displaying um local people's work all the time and it's a space where we can you know go in and grab a coffee when people are when you're running around and taking photos and maybe sit in edits and hang out and there's work on the walls and a nice event space if needs be just to yeah build that community and break down some of that weird competitiveness that goes on between you know street photographers on Instagram and r- remind each other we're in this together and helping each other is is the best thing we're not we're not actually fighting for anything and, oh, and it's, yeah. it's been great it's been really great. I mean, people are coming through and hanging out for a couple of hours and meeting each other and going out and shooting together. And that's exactly what we wanted to see. So it's been really cool.
0: Well, I'll release this episode uh, on uh, the 23rd. So that'll cool. still allow people for, uh, who listen to this early on to so check it out before it, uh, it closes. So that sounds like a wonderful yeah. idea.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So it's just uh, the numeral three, threestreetgallery.com for all, the, for all the details and the schedules of stuff that's happening. That's brilliant. Thank you.
0: Well, my last gu- uh, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend a photographer, uh, and it can be anyone—someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So, who would that one photographer be, and
1: why? Oh, I'm, I, I've got to go back to the guy I mentioned earlier. Then, like, he's so worth checking out. Um, Dcim dot ru on Instagram. Dmitry, I forget his surname. Something with an M. But he is—he's uh, just the fact that he's shooting sort of life in Russia just on an iPhone, and the quality of those images and how mature they are—they're absolutely staggering to me. He, he's someone who. Who who says my photographs? You know, makes me feel my photographs are meaningless, and I need to get off my ass. He's, he's, he's that he's that guy for me. So definitely, definitely check him out. He's he's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, man, and thank you for staying up late for me. I really appreciate
1: it. No worries. Always a pleasure.
0: Thanks to Sean for joining me for this special conversation. Find out more about him and his work by visiting SeanTucker.Photography. I'll be in Washington DC for the Focus on the Story Photo Festival in the fall, a Memento photographic workshop in El Paso, Texas in August, and my week-long workshop in Tokyo in December. You'll find out details on these on our website. If you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, Write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have led people to take a chance on us and allowed us to grow. Thanks to Lauren from Montreal, Canada for their five-star review. Along with my recent book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, I just released my latest ebook, Nine Pictures, Nine Stories, Volume 2. The first one was a great success, and I'm back with a follow-up where I discuss the stories behind nine images that I created last year. It's just $8, and your purchase is another way you can support the show. Purchase that and any of my previously published ebooks by visiting the website. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or donating through PayPal. Thanks to George Vu, Amy Molventano, Matt Groon, Banana Masher, and Joyce Chen for their recent contributions. I can't thank you enough. And if you found that you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service that you use, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And this is Ibarianx, X, and this is The Candid Frame.